Hi everyone, I'm Abby Feeder, Certified Life and Fertility Coach, and you're listening to The Fertility Chick. This show is all about the path to parenthood, which is never the same for everyone, and our guests' professional success along the way. Today we have a great episode with one of my favorite people, Mr. Isaac Feeder. Our twins celebrated their fifth birthday, and we thought it would be fun to talk about what it's like to be parents of twin five-year-olds after six years of infertility, meaning they are not yet in this world as long as we were trying for them. So you have that to look forward to. I also want to make sure you know about a special program I'm offering next week, November 14th, depending on when you're listening to this. If you listen to this podcast because you yourself are going through infertility and you're looking for some support or comfort, I'm offering a free webinar next Tuesday about uh, making it through the holidays with infertility, which can also be an extremely stressful time. We're very scared about what parents might say, what family members might say, how the marking of time going by can be on our depression system. So I'd love to unpack all of that with you. If you head to my website, incirclefertility.com, you'll see where you can sign up for that. It will be recorded if you cannot make it live, but you do have to register in order to participate. So jump on over to incirclefertility.com if you'd like to register for that. And stay tuned after my talk with Isaac because we're digging into the new definition of infertility that is actually really important and how it affects you in your daily life. Talk to you then. In the meantime, here's Isaac. Welcome to the mic, Mr. Isaac Feeder. Hi. Hey, Abby. How are you today? Good to see you. You as well. Today's November 6th. We're recording the day after our children's fifth birthday. Fastest five. Yeah. The five-year, one-day anniversary of the day I left or my uterus came out, I should say. I didn't really leave it behind, though I did, um, which I feel like I was thinking a lot about yesterday as well. Yeah. And I just thought it might be nice to reflect on the first five of parenting, the past five, which what's so insane is that we tried to have our babies for six years, which means they are not yet in this world as long as we tried to get them into this world. And just wow. thinking about, sort of what that means or feels like? What are you thinking? Those six years were longer than these five years have been. Absolutely. Why do you think? I don't know. Why do you think? Well, there's the adage, the days are long, the years are short when you have children. And for many people listening, I cannot wait for you to have that experience. People would say that to me before we had kids and, you know, I'd kind of be like, fuck you. <laughs> I'll I'll take my chances and just wait and see what that feels sure. like. And then when you do enter parenthood, it's so true. It's very hard at times. And yet mm -hmm. you signed up for it. And that doesn't mean that that makes it any easier. And the days are long sometimes. But the years, like all of a sudden you look back and you're like, how did five years go by? Right? So... I was going to jot down some notes as we talk and I just picked up the scratch paper and it's like a drawing <laughs> of a mouth that, that our daughter made. And it's... It's just fun to have this stuff lying around. Yeah. Well, then, you know, at five, they become real, real people. It's, it's hard to call them the babies anymore. But, you know, I, I think about those six years we tried for it. Honestly, feel like the, like all of my, it felt like all of my 20s and 30s were spent trying to create a family, even though that's not true. It feels that way in terms of my memory. Does it feel the same for you? It does not. 
And we didn't even get married until we were in our thirties. Until we were 30. Yeah. I mean, one thing I'll say, I mean, I'm just, I'm very, I'm very, I'm very thankful. So yeah, it's interesting. Let's talk about it in terms of the marriage because it dominated our marriage for those six years. And then the pregnancy dominated the marriage for nine months, especially the stress of our pregnancy. And then you sort of have to recreate an identity as a couple as parents, which is different. You can't do that. You can't prepare for that until it happens. So then that almost dominates at least early life of having small children. Do you agree? Yeah. I mean, I do agree. I also, you know, it, I think our, I don't know if it's our, unique to our situation. It's not unique to us, but because we are here in Los Angeles and our extended family outside of some very special cousins and, and, and aunts and uncle don't live here. Um, we're pretty, we're, 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 we are on full time as, as mom and dad. Um, we do not have, we did not bring in outside childcare other than going to daycare as early as we could. And that definitely helped us make this work, but our focus has completely shifted uh, for sure. I mean, I, I know that you and I are people who like to go out and go to dinner and have a good time and go to shows and go to movies and go to plays and go to do cultural things. And that's really shifted a lot. That's mm -hmm. really shifted a lot. And I don't think it's a shift forever. I think you and I both still love all those things, but that's not for our lives right now. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not lamenting that. I'm just, I'm just observing that and saying it, that we don't have the same social life we used to. Totally. Which when we wanted children, we were like, who cares? And we still feel that way, but we still feel that way. But totally. What's interesting is like when you're yearning for parenthood, you're like, I remember even with my body, I was like, I don't care if I become the fattest human on earth, if I get to have children, right? Well, then like when you're not, when you have your, when you get there after the struggle, and then you're not feeling your best in your body, like those negotiations sort of change, right? So you made a lot exactly. Of yeah, we all we we made a lot of deals. Right, we'd be like, we don't care if we never go out to dinner again, as long as we can. But then you get into some semblance of normalcy, and you're like, oh right, these are the things that we like, and who are we as these new parents, and how do we fit them all into our this new version of our life? And it's challenging. And I think because we struggled for so long. You know, like I've said this before, but when we struggled for so long, I assumed once my kids were here, I was going to want to spend every second with them. And then I did not want to do that. <laughs> right. Like, right. you don't know until it happens to you what your identity is going to be. So you can try to plan and negotiate and decide and make all these rules with yourself and with God or the universe or whatever you believe in. But then when the actual reality hits, it's a very different thing. Right. Definitely. I mean, I even think of something this weekend. We had daylight savings time. Right. This used to be such an issue for us. Total trigger. Total trigger. Because. Going, oh my God, kill me. My kids, they are nightmares. They don't know how to go to sleep. They wake up. At, and we were just like, screw you. Right. Well, I remember specifically one friend who was like, anybody want two five-year or like a three-year-old and a five-year-old who can't sleep past 5 a.m. this week? And I was like, do you know how rude that is? Because do you know how many people do want that? You know, like that was a big trigger for us. And now. And now what? And now our kids woke up at 519 this morning and it was torture. Yeah. 
<laughs> but we don't complain about we it. We do not. And I will take it. I, I keep that part of the negotiation that I would not complain about it. And I'm not. They wake up at 515 on different days and it sucks then too. Yeah. Um, and I would never, ever put out into the world who wants our kids. They woke up at 515 this morning, right? You just have a different sense of appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. That's not something I will I will complain about. I remember too, another friend of mine did 12 rounds of treatment. And ultimately got twins. And she had put in, I think, like six untested embryos to get to her twins. And she was really struggling with them at some time when they were newborns. And I remember another friend of ours, a very a more judgmental person, was like, well, this is what she asked for. So what if she's not getting sleep? And it's like, it's not either or, like so many things. She did want it. And also she's really tired. And just because she wanted it so bad doesn't mean that she deserves to have any less of a good experience as a new parent. Yeah. Right? Yeah. How do you feel, do you feel like our journey to parenthood plays out in your daily life anymore? Do you think about it? How do you think about it? How often do you think about it? I mean, for me, obviously, it's now my career to be in this world. So... I do think about it a lot, but I'm curious how you feel about that. Well, I mean, it's your career and it's, but it's also, you know, we're, we're roommates. Uh, so it's not like it's out of sight, out of mind for me. It's, a def- it's been a defining event of my adulthood and life. And I'm not the same. I won't ever be the same. I also make an effort, two things. One is I make an effort to, appreciate and enjoy so many little moments with our kids every day when I'm, you know, if it's, if it's bedtime or bath or morning, or I mean, whatever it might be, I definitely make an effort to enjoy it. And at the same time, if I am feeling like I'm distracted by my phone or the news or other things while my kids are here, I do give myself a hard time when I catch myself. not being a present parent. Um, I mean, I've been very distracted in the last few weeks by the news and current events, extremely extract- distracted. While our kids are watching something or playing something, I'm usually listening to a news story or a podcast in one ear. And I really have to be careful about that because I don't think I'm doing a good job of either when I do that kind of multitasking. But I can't help also, I'm. Tr- I mean, I, I my my brain goes where my brain's going to go. Um, so uh, it's something that I definitely pay attention to and I'm conscious of, and continue to work on is making sure that I'm here and present for them when I am here. That's really important, and I think I appreciate it more. I don't think I would have probably had the same approach had we just gotten pregnant right away. And we've been parents now for 11 years or whatever it might be. Um, So I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that our experience has led me to be a more conscientious parent who minds my focus. Mm, Love that. Thanks. Any other parenting advice or tips out there for parents of young children or twins or parenting after infertility? I think it is really important to remember where you came from. Uh, if you're parenting after infertility, and even if you're parenting after no infertility, I think it's really important to acknowledge how blessed you are. Focus on the good. 
I'm thinking of some of the things that have especially affected me as a dad. We had an issue where uh, our children are at a new school and we're really happy with the school. And our son, who just turned five, was a four-year-old and felt the effects of his first bullying issue. And that was a really powerful experience for me. And I'm not calling the kid a bully or anything like that. I'm telling, I'm just saying that we know that our son had some fears about another kid who was bigger than him at school and who acted a little differently uh, and acted a little bit more aggressively. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a fierce protector uh of 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 my kids i think i would have been that way anyway um but i think it's important when we you get to these places where we have a concern about our child's safety or emotional safety or well-being um to what am i trying to say i'm I'm, uh maybe 15 years in i don't know I trying to say? I Do don't you know think you're more fiercely protective because we work so hard to get him? I think you're saying you would be that way either way. I think I, that's why I, I was saying it, and then I'm kind of unsaying it because I think I would have been that way anyway. Yeah, I, I would have been that way anyway. So that's that's not a good example. I think one way we can speak to it in the way that it affects us on a daily basis is that we're old. <laughs> we're old parents. Um. So I think sometimes that serves us well, and sometimes it can be harder. I think we would be mama bear, papa bear types, no matter what. I've said, I think before on this podcast, somebody once told me long before I even wanted children that they would never want to be on the PTA with me, which I took as a huge compliment because I'm like, they know that I'm a fierce fighter for whatever it is I believe in. But I think being older parents of younger children in various circles, we handle things a little bit differently and you, you can notice it. Some stuff I think, yeah. yeah, like some stuff I think we just don't care about as much as other people. Like, screen time or it's it's because you know what we're freaking old and we're tired too and like if they need an extra 30 minute babysitter on the television like i don't have a freak out about it and i feel like younger parents are very much still not with judgment here but like they're only allowed x amount of time and it's going to ruin their life if they have more like we there's some things we just give less of a shit about um and then i think like almost in the bullying situation and look i don't i think most people would have reacted similarly but we did get it felt a little like maybe we were overreacting i don't know if we were or weren't and it doesn't matter it all resolved itself and and everything pretty pretty much with nobody mm-hmm. getting hurt emotionally Definitely. but i and think our son has a better understanding and is safe absolutely now. yes not even us that's right I- and and i think we had so much time to like learn a little bit more about the best parenting skills in that in that situation, how to handle from an emotional perspective versus a reactionary perspective. So there are definitely differences because we're older parents, less so because specifically we went on an infertility journey, although being older parents is because we went on the infertility journey. So I think I just remember being like, you know, when we were deep in it, like, I just don't want to be falling over Legos when I'm 45. And lo and behold, like, what does he want for Hanukkah Legos and how old am I? Let's not get into it, but like you do the math and that's basically what I'm saying. So yeah, there's a lot about it that I think just comes with age. It's a little bit different. Yeah. I think that, I think that, I think that's, that's a good assessment. You know, I think that's a good assessment. 
I like being an older parent, but yeah. uh, I really do. I really do. But we are not growing up with our kids as much as like my parents, I feel grew right. up with me or your, you know, um, or your mom grew up with you or your parents grew up with you. Right. For sure. But we've also looked at like pictures of our parents at our age and we cannot believe they had like, you know, my mom had a 21 year old at, at, by the time she was my age. Right. Um, and that feels really glaringly different too, in terms of upbringing of our children. For sure. You know, for sure. You know, something else I've, I've noticed is like, I'm, this is simple. Like I'm wearing glasses almost every day. Because and our son I'm, does. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm because our son does. I want to show him good practices for his eye health. And not that, I mean, I would wear contacts, but this is like just a more um, direct example that I work to set. So, you know, there's that. These little things that I'm, I'm following my children, just like in many ways, they follow and emulate and take after me. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's been interesting. All right. Well, anything in particular you're looking forward to in the next five years? Oh, yeah. I mean, first of all, it's, yes. I mean, so many things. I mean, first of all, I love where they are at with reading and writing and math and, you know, starting to show how they're learning concepts and their brains are just growing so quickly. And I love when they surprise me with so many, with, I, I love that their senses of humor are developing. Um, it's so fun. Like my, our kids make me laugh a lot and I'm kind of a tough, you know, audience, uh, for that stuff. And we've been, we've started traveling a little bit and I want to continue traveling with them now that they're becoming, you know, better travelers. And I like the memories that they're making. I love asking them about, um, I love asking them about, uh, what they remember from, or I love hearing the things that they remember and it blows me away. Sometimes. I mean, that is so cool. I love that, you know, both of our kids have started doing sports in certain ways. I mean, Malachi's really into soccer. Amalia likes to dance and likes to swim. And so just in that realm, I think when you're trying so hard to have a baby, that's what the eye on the prize is. And you forget that these actually become people with interests yeah. and jokes and senses of humor, you know? So that I love. Yeah. I, yeah, I love. And I like seeing them. I love that they're really making real friends. Mm-hmm. Like our kids are five. I know that they have friends who they're going to be friends with for a long time to come. That's really meaningful to me as I know how important my childhood friends, friendships are and have been and remain. So that's a super cool thing that I'm looking forward to. And I like meeting their friends and who they and who they spark to and who they like and who makes them laugh and who they have things in common with. I mean, that's all so cool. When you think about who our community becomes because of our children, there is something, and you can only saying this, connecting the dots, looking backwards, you could not know this when you were going through the infertility, but your people feel like your people. And if your children had been born at any other moment in time, they wouldn't have been your people. Right. You know? Yeah. Just an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I love that they're growing up closely with some cousins and I love their friends and it's a great thing. Yeah. Any last uh, words of wisdom? Excitement? Anything else you're looking forward to? 
Are you looking forward to something? Um, you know, I, it's more of a twin parent thing. I just look forward to when they emphatically identify themselves in their own ways. Yeah. It's very special, you know, because they are net, they've never been the same person at all, really, but just seeing their, the differences in their personality, it, it hits my heart sometimes in a really special way. I do love seeing how, how they get along or mm-hmm. f- and fight at times, but mostly yeah. get, mostly really get along really beautifully. It's, 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 it's really a, it's really, it's really a treat. It's yeah. really a treat. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here. Meet you again here in five years after we've been parents for 10. It was painless. No, thank you for having me. Keep it love up. You. Keep it up. Keep it up. Love you too. Bye. Okay. I love always having Isaac on this show. Um, Listen, if any of you listening have any questions or comments on parenting post-infertility, by all means, send them in to me. I'm always happy to continue to explore that conversation. I think we all think once we get to the happy ending, that's it. This goes away. We forget everything we went through. And clearly, as you can tell by mine and Isaac's conversation, that's not how it is. So send those my way. I wanted to talk today a little bit also about insurance and infertility. So some of you may know that I went to the ASRM conference recently, American Society for Reproductive Medicine. They're sort of the governing group in terms of practices for medical care and doing clinical research. And they're sort of the hub of reproductive endocrinologists and mental health professionals in the fertility space. And something that happened while we were there, which is a very big deal, is that they themselves redefined infertility. And you might be thinking, who cares? Why does that matter? And I'm going to tell you why it matters. So you're talking to somebody here, or rather I'm talking to you, someone who went through absolutely every part of my infertility treatment was paid for out of pocket. I had no health insurance coverage. It was not mandated in my state. Even if it was, it was very loosely defined. So for example, the insurance companies might say, oh, we have to provide insurance benefits. Well, let's look to the ASRM and see what they define as infertility and whatever they define as infertility, that's what we'll use to define who needs benefits. And so they would go look at the ASRM resources and those resources might say anyone that has a disease consistent with infertility. So that could be endometriosis. It could be a fallopian tube that ruptured at some point and you no longer have, right? These are medically diagnosed examples of reasons somebody would need fertility treatment, perhaps sperm morphology is off and it doesn't swim in the right direction, right? These are things that can be pointed to with a diagnosis. For the vast majority of people going through infertility treatment, and I say majority because it includes same-sex couples and those with unexplained infertility, which account for one-third of the heterosexual population's infertility issues, they might not fit into that very narrow definition of infertility because they don't have endometriosis and yet they've been trying for over a year to get pregnant and they cannot, which also was the threshold for how long you needed to be trying before you could be considered an infertility patient. Six months if you're over 35. So what ASRM did, which was brilliant, is they expanded the definition of infertility. Instead of only disease being the classifier, they've added two other categories, status, and condition. Now these are very broad terms and we're gonna break them down a little bit. So status might mean 
that you're in a same-sex relationship and therefore you know going in that you're going to need fertility assistance because you need either donor eggs or donor sperm or sometimes donor embryo depending on the situation. So that goes into condition now, right? Which is amazing because now you should be able to get health coverage for it. You can no longer be denied specifically because you're in a same-sex relationship just because you aren't diagnosed with a disease. So this actually broadens the term and makes it more inclusive. So sometimes doctors have to explain to their patients, I'm so sorry, but based on what you're telling me, while you have access to $50,000 worth of insurance benefits, because you aren't diagnosed with a disease, you're not going to be able to access them. And that can be so heart crushing and disappointing for people struggling to conceive. So this really broadens the scope. And additionally, the status piece of it would be my status is that I've been trying to have a baby for more than a year and I'm not sure why, but I can't. Therefore, my status is infertile. That is now included as one of the top three reasons for infertility, which opens it to so many things when we don't know what's going on, we should still have access to those benefits if they can be provided for us. One of the best quotes I saw about how positive this changes was from previous guest on my show, Dr. Amy, the egg whisperer, and the way that she states it is just so simple and, and easy. Dr. Amy, a San Francisco-based reproductive endocrinologist, called the new ASRM definition a positive step forward. And she said this, by the way, on CNN. By adopting a more inclusive and accurate definition of infertility, the medical community can better serve and support those in need of reproductive assistance. It not only promotes transparency, but also helps reduce the stigma often associated with fertility problems. So she's exactly right. If you finally are categorizing the incredible amount of people who have fertility problems, it starts to remove the stigma. And then I love how the CEO of ASRM sums it up too, Dr. Jared Robbins, who says, this revised definition reflects that all persons, regardless of marital status, sexual orientation, or gender identity, deserve equal access to reproductive medicine. This inclusive definition helps ensure that anyone seeking to build a family has equitable access to infertility treatment and care. And that's also from the same article from CNN. And they're exactly right. This new definition really acknowledges the reality of a broad scope of people looking for fertility treatment, not just a small defined group who are specifically going through a particular diagnosis. So this is very positive news in the right direction. And I think that podcasts like this one, Infertile AF, ASRM does a podcast, women's health podcasts, women taking leadership roles in medical positions, all of these are reasons that progress is being made. And so I applaud the incredible group of women out there who are working towards these changes. And the last thing I wanna talk about today that's making a really big impact in the infertility space is a bill that was passed for now just in California. It was called SB 848. And it establishes a new leave in terms of work, a medical leave for reproductive loss. So what's amazing about this is that in addition to infant loss, which is awful and heartbreaking, it also includes reproductive loss events. And those are defined, it's like a bereavement leave for a failed adoption or a failed surrogacy. It can be a miscarriage, of course, a stillbirth, or what I love the most, it's for unsuccessful assisted reproduction. So if you uh, transfer an embryo and it doesn't take, it is acknowledged and considered a reproductive loss, 
and you get bereavement leave to it. And I cannot stress how important that is. And there are rules within, like you have a maximum of, I think, 20 days within a 12-month period. And that might not actually cover everything in reality, but it's definitely a start. So if you're doing transfer after transfer and having failure after failure, it is so hard on your emotional state. So this allows for time off. And I'm really excited that California was the one to introduce this bill. I hope that it takes off everywhere else as well. And that was this week's episode. Reminder, if you want to talk about keeping your sanity through the holidays with infertility, go to incirclefertility.com, my website, and sign up for my webinar next Tuesday the 14th. Please remember to follow and like and review and all the things on Instagram at the Fertility Chick at Abby Feeder at Incircle Fertility. Please remember, you don't have to go through this alone. If you or someone you know is struggling through infertility, have them grab a 15-minute call with me and see if I can help them. See you all next week.